we are on live very soon. Yes, we are on live, Richard. And we are on live on Facebook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to um, State of our world by um, Richard Christopher Lowe and myself, Vicky Esther Chang, and we are broadcasting to you live in Singapore. And it is 9.14 p.m. on a Monday morning, which is 9.14 American Eastern Standard Time. And for the last two episodes uh, of the talk that we have uh, for State of Our World with Richard and myself, uh, the views are going steadily. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to go viral. Um, Richard, <laughs> I'm not ready to go viral. I'm ready for us to have um, a good understanding on a layman's point of view on some of these topics that we choose to talk. And uh, I'm so glad to have you on um, just a little bit of social venture now. You know, um, you know, I'm a podcaster. I love to bring on new perspectives and topics uh to the world and to the audience even though it's a very niche audience but you know when people do discover the topics people want to jump on so i do say that i have a steady growth of people who are interested in what i talk about and last week i had uh bernice loman of uh, loman creative services she runs a very successful business in uh in the united states of america savannah georgia uh both for events real uh, events and virtual events and a hybrid of events um, and she's also an author of three business books particularly on um, uh, podcasting, uh, video streaming, uh, live streaming and also uh, uh, e-marketing and how to grow your business successfully online. Um, love to talk to her again and Norman and um, uh, Bernice myself about how important it is um, uh, the world we're in now, the hybrid world that we are in, um, the virtual, online, digital world, the transformation, not only for companies, but also for individuals. Because she is looking at companies, uh, small SME companies going to her, live streaming their church services, live streaming of e-commerce and events online and going global. And she's got a stream of um, our clients. Um, and, and this is what's happening in America. People are going online, whether they have the business or not, because they are ready for the digital world. Um, and we're talking about um, not only the Elon Musk of the world, um, we're also talking about the, the everyday person. And I've invited um, pastors who are live podcasting, live streaming their services. I've talked to doctors who are talking about COVID online. We are talking about nurses um, on the front line, talking about how hard it is um, in those days in, in, in the lockdown. And I've talked about pro to professors, etc. And, and I think this is something that's impacting our world. Um, this is just to give everyone, uh, the viewers, uh, please do go down um, and look at some of these episodes. Uh, you will be very delighted uh, to uh, discover some of these wonderful guests and speakers. And today we have uh, Richard Christopher Lowe um, with us. And we're gonna talk about climate, uh, climate change slash global warming. Uh, is climate change, global warming relevant to our lives um, as a mother, um, as a daughter, as a student, as a man in the street, the main street people, uh, or the main street businesses. It is, is it um, relevant? Um, does it matter? Um, is it real? We're going to talk about that um, from our perspective as a person ourselves. Does it matter to us? Um, hi, Richard. How are you? Um, yeah, that's a pretty long 
long um, intro, Richard. But I just wanted to also let you know that Bernice um, was here last week, and then this Thursday and Friday is going to be um, a Colette Laurie Galanga. She's going to be here talking about the Me Too movement. So we have an exciting season of the Hate of Us. Richard, how are you, Richard? Great, thanks. It's uh, it's good to be back after a, a, a week of being away. Yeah, Richard, it's always nice to have you. It's so refreshing to have you, and always good to have you um, to to talk about your your perspective um, as a Brit, you know, from 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 a, from a UK background and also as a Singaporean, um, and also having this third culture, having being being in this uh, backdrop. You know, the things that you say. It's relevant to a lot of us because we're facing um, an international audience. And today we're going to talk about climate change slash global warming. We're not going to talk about um, how the term changed its course from global warming to climate change, but it's suffice to say that interchangeable now. Global warming, global cooling. It's just um, we're talking about uh, uh, unpredictable climate and the climate that is changing, that is beyond um, our, um, you know, the control of mankind. But in COP17, if you remember, um, it was already established in COP17 in Paris. Climate change is actually man-made. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But to, to, for Richard, um, just to kick this conversation off, um, you may not know this, but I was actively involved in climate change projects um, some years back, X number of years back, which I'm not going to divulge, an X number of years back. Um, that's, and I do remember um, uh, in the early 2000s, um, the, leader for, uh, the leader for climate change uh, issue at that time, uh, the global warming issue uh, was really led by the leadership of Tony Blair. When the rest of the world was just wishy-washy, you really need a world leader to put an issue front and center in the world, an issue that really concerns the globe. And I think um, Tony Blair did a great job because he was really promoting climate change at that time. And also, um, in 2005, 2004, 2005, and you've got Elko, who, Elko who launched this book, The Inconvenient Truth, of, and of course it was launched into a movie in Hollywood, and then he's got uh, The Inconvenient Truth, the second, uh, which got received uh, two Tony Awards. Um, you know, and, and I would say that from the other part of the world, um, from the American um, side, um, the only person I would say that I could see uh, really champion climate change um, set to say there's only one person, um, uh, Al Gore. And of course, he didn't do that out of political interest because if you look at his past history on YouTube, he was really championing about climate change even in his youths. Um, and, and I think someone was able to see a big issue like that has to come from a place of wisdom. Um, and for him to write about the inconvenient truth when uh, it was inconvenient at that time, uh, and also much more now, um, you know, with the energy crisis, etc. Um, I, I think uh, it showed a lot of leadership. Tony Blair from Europe, um, and also Al from America. Uh, but, and I think we do need huge leadership when we're talking about, um, you know, a huge issue that involves the Kyoto Protocol, um, you know, signing of all the countries. I think that even um, uh, Joe Biden has agreed on the Paris Accord. Now it's called the Paris Accord now. They are signing on. And in the past, India and China, um, in the early 2000s, um, they were not part of the Kyoto Protocol because they were still in third world country status. But since then, they have signed on the Kyoto Protocol about uh, in about about ten years ago. And one of the largest proponents of climate change and environmental sustainable development, surprisingly, comes from a, a country like China. Um, you know, we're talking about countries led uh, countries 
with great leadership uh, in the environmental sector, Japan in Asia, South Korea in Asia, Singapore is catching up. And now China is going big um, with renewable energy because of its sure size. Um, and of course, Europe, uh, led by UK and um, France, um, and of course, Germany also, um, you know, big proponents of uh, the climate change mitigation issues. So, so with that uh, backdrop, um, I'd like to start off with this um, conversation with you. Sounds a little bit uh, serious, but really, I think um, we can really break it down to bite size in terms of how it affects our lives um, as um, you have done quite a lot of work and you have read uh, Bill Gates, I suppose, over the weekend and watched quite a lot of uh, podcasts yourself, Richard. Yes, yes. I, you know, I think uh, just being invited for this show has actually forced me to, to learn a little bit more about, you know, what's been happening in um, climate change and, and global warming. And I think, you know, just to be straight off the bat is, you know, do you take the position that uh, global warming is a serious issue or is it something that is uh, you know made up and trumped up and you know my my belief just looking at all the facts figures and the science out there is that this is a, a global challenge that we're all faced with uh, science is showing that the average temperature of the world has increased by about 1.2 degrees since 1900 which might not sound a lot but when you are dealing with very fragile ecosystems uh, that can have a major impact particularly to you know places like coral reefs uh, around the world that can be very sensitive to small temperature changes but yeah it's uh, it's a subject that impacts all of us and I think if we if we don't take it seriously uh, it's going to catch up with us um, I think one of the right, challenges I think one of the challenges of human nature is that very often we only react to things when it's right in front of us and it's a here and now situation um, and although we can see that things like uh, weather patterns seem to be getting more severe that is you know we're having more floods we're having uh, bigger heat waves we're having higher temperatures we're having colder temperatures you know we're getting more extreme weather that's consistently um, occurring. Um, but, you know, are we going to actually acknowledge that this is attributed to global warming? The science definitely indicates that it is, but then are we going to actually get up off our backsides as individuals and collectively as countries to actually do something about it? Um, you know, in the Inconvenient Truth film, I remember Al Gore talks about this analogy that he, he pictures the frog and you put him in some cold water and you gradually boil it up and the, the frog, you know, doesn't really know when to jump out, but you, you throw a frog into boiling water and he would immediately jump out because of that sensation. And I think with something like global warming, there's a similar analogy because it's a gradual change and we don't necessarily always see the major impact um, you know, right away, but it's a gradual change of worsening weather and the impact that that starts to have on the environment and how that impacts our, our lives. But there does come a point whereby if it goes so bad, it may be irreversible. And, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, all of us at times um, live in our comfort zones and rather than being proactive to deal with a situation that if we don't deal with it now, it's going to be many, many more times difficult to, to deal with in the future. So just taking that proactive approach um, is not always something that comes naturally to people. It's like, well, I'll, I'll deal with it when I need to. I've got other bigger issues in the here and now in my life that I need to address rather than trying to solve yep. a global issue. Yep. And you're right, Richard, um, you know, to answer that question, 1.2, uh, degrees Celsius that has risen since the 1900s. Um, a couple of things I want to raise when we talk about climate change slash global warming, does it matter? Is it real? And I want to say this um, uh, uh, to everyone uh, 
uh, who's listening out there, Americans who's going to tune in, um, South Korea, some uh, I should say South Asia, some of my viewers are from India, Pakistan, in Ukraine. I ever had Ukraine um, listeners and viewers tuning in, but you know, with the war, I don't think that they are here now. But um, a couple of things. 1.2 degrees. When we talked about 1.2, I, I really promoted that when I was um, X number of years ago, when I was so much involved with uh, climate change uh, projects. Uh, Richard, you know, we we are um, 36.7 degrees. Um, our human temperature um, at equilibrium is 36.7 degrees. Can you imagine if we raise our body temperature by one or two degrees, what happens? We fall sick. Yeah. Because the whole balance is out. Yeah. We fall sick, we have a fever, we can't go out, we vomit. I mean, that's a sign when, when your body raises its temperature, that's a sign when the ecosystem within us is out of order. Yeah, I mean, doesn't... Analogy. I like, I like that analogy. Yeah, I mean, doesn't can... that tell anyone that when the when the sea temperature rises, because people are saying the sea temperature of the ocean is rising right now, and the, the general um, uh, temperature in the world globally has risen uh, 1.2 degrees Celsius. You do not, you do know that the Earth is sick right now. A lot of things are out of balance. But a couple of things just to echo what you say. You know, when I was in France, even when I go to the supermarket, you know, I do my grocery shopping, right? The, the people, they, they, they actually do support small farmers in, in, in France, as opposed to like big, huge industrialized farms. They do support farmers, um, eco farming, organic farming. Um, and they say that they aren't able to grow certain crops anymore, number one. And the timing of the crop growth has changed. So they can't predict when the crops will come and also the weather is so bad they couldn't retrieve the crops uh, so we're talking about food. we're talking about climate change food change and if we want to answer the question does it matter i mean come on it's like f you doesn't it we are now facing food crisis already in the world right we're talking about rising food prices and climate change um, affecting the whole agricultural uh, food change, uh, food chain, and also fisheries. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk about fisheries a little bit later on in the context of sustainable de development because um, you know the oceans are all dead now because there aren't enough fish because they're all overfished. And, and of course, we'll talk. We'll talk about a, a bit about um, uh, uh, pollution of, of the oceans if we do have time, but. The people are telling me, the farmers and the people who are, you know, selling the fish and farmers who are selling the vegetables, they say, we, we can't grow anymore because things are so unpredictable and sometimes my crops die because there isn't a rain that's supposed to come. And the weather has changed and the crops are supposed to be like this, grows like this. You know, when, the, when there's a heat rain, you know, things are becoming so unpredictable in, in this climate change context. It affects the farmers. And the farmers are number one to tell you that climate change is affecting them. So they are at the point of origin. So we are at the end of origin because we're talking about this food chain that comes to our mouth at the table at the end. So we don't feel it yet, but the farmers are saying it. And when I went uh, to um, uh, Switzerland for hiking, the people will just tell, I say, hey, there isn't a lot of snow. They say, yeah, there isn't a lot of snow. The snow is all gone. Yeah, um, yeah not only affects um, skiing and hiking, there are same floods in Switzerland um, that they've never encountered before because um, the glaciers are actually melting at a faster rate that is sustainable for the lower areas. So we're not talking about uh, just something that doesn't affect lives because the scientists are talking about we're also talking about this issue that affects our lives let's talk we, we also i mean this could go on richard like part two part three because we're talking about climate refugees look at what's happening to nepal people need to be 
migrated because it's all flooding to the lower lands of uh, Nepal because the Himalayas, the snow is melting, and the glaciers is melting. Well, so just, just on the news today, um, there was a, a clip about uh, Pakistan, about one of the glaciers having uh, much higher melts than usual. The water's flooding down and, and literally they're on camera knocking out a major bridge um, just because of it loosening the foundations. The the, the, bid, the bridge there wasn't built to take so much water all at the same time. But, you know, whenever you listen to these documentaries of people that, you know, they've spent all their lives living close to nature and that they've seen, you know, whether it's uh, glaciers basically melting away, you know, literally hundreds of meters within five, ten years, whether it's permafrost, you know, releasing more methane and seeing methane gas, you know, coming out of the, the tundra in the in the Arctic Circle and places like this. It's, you know, it's a consistent message that people that, who are in touch and live close to nature, you know, farmers is a, is a good example, that they all say the same message. Um, I mean, again, the you know some of the data that you know we've spoken about the the fact that in the last hundred plus years the the average temperature of the world increased by one point two degrees. But the scientists are predicting that if we continue the CO two emissions at the rate that we're doing and we don't do anything about it by the end of this century, so just you know under seventy years away, they're predicting global increase in temperatures of somewhere between three to six degrees and even at the lower end of three three degrees would be a massive massive yeah. challenge to sustaining life on earth and particularly yeah. around the equator whereby yeah. you've got a lot of subsistence farming and temperatures that wouldn't be possible to grow plants um, and, and produce and rear animals and humans couldn't work outside so migrating away from these exceptionally hot temperatures to countries that are a cooler climate so um, again it's one of these challenges that do we address it now while we still have opportunities to solve these massive challenges or try and push it down kick the can down the road and maybe either make it 10 times worse or to a point where we can't solve it. Yeah, Richard, you know, the thing is, the truth is, even when I was doing a lot of research on climate change and being involved in climate change projects, um, and I, I, this thing, this question always occurred in my mind, and I want to throw this to you. Um, does climate change um, is climate change an issue that only the rich and powerful have influence on? And does climate change um, um, mix uh, poor and the masses victims of it? Good question. Uh, I think one of the challenges is that the wealthy countries as they've gone through industrialization and modernization have been the biggest contributors to uh, the carbon footprint and increasing CO2 emissions. Mm. Um, but very often the poorer countries um, and the countries that, especially around the uh, equator, are potentially the ones that will be suffering more for you know the uh, the emissions that the, the the wealthier countries have have produced, and so there's you know I was listening to an argument um, on a documentary today with you know you take a country like India that um, you know its economy is definitely improving, but you know their carbon footprint per capita is far far lower. I think something like twenty yes. times twenty times lower than. Yeah. you know uh people in the west yeah. and for them to be told that hey listen you need to be looking at um uh bringing in all of these uh green uh philosophies of how to to run 
uh, your industries, how to run different <laughs> yeah, sectors of your society, yeah. um, you know, is is unfair. And that should the yeah. wealthy countries who are contributing and have contributed yeah. primarily help subsidize some of the poorer countries sure. in terms of the research and development or subsidizing? Because the ch one of the challenges at the moment, I think, again, going back to human nature is that humans will typically do what is best for them. Uh, which unfortunately is a rather selfish uh, aspect of the human human nature, but that is often the, the, the case we're driven by what does benefit us the most. And one of the challenges is that going green at this point in time can be more financially expensive than the traditional forms of doing life, which uses fossil fuels. And although it's significantly improving the cost of renewable energies, you know, wind power, solar power has come down dramatically. Uh, it's still more expensive, generally speaking, than than fossil fuels. And so one of the challenges is then is how can we, you know, as humanity, try to bring down so that at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, that the decisions we make um, can be motivated by good conscience, but also that financially and economically, it's better to go green than not to go green. Yeah. And, you know, electrical cars, they're coming down in, in price. Um, I think they are still more expensive than yeah. a, a combustion car, but they are certainly coming down as, as, as those things manufactured more on, on more mass production more research and technology goes into having longer lasting battery lives and these kind of things hopefully that cost will come down and there'll come a point hopefully sooner rather than later where it, it becomes more economically viable to have an electric car than a, a, a combustion same of producing energy um, at some point hopefully if we can start producing energy clean energy at a more cost-effective rate than uh, fossil fuel energy, then it, that decision becomes easy. But between now and then, it's it's a balancing act of being, you know, we need to act in good conscience and there might be some short-term pain in terms of literally it costing uh, our individual pockets and, and government pockets more. But if we don't invest in it now, we are going to be paying as a humanity, as an individual and as a countries far more in the future because we will have destroyed, you know, the, the resources that we have. Yes, uh, Richard, I'd like you to talk about some of these notes that you have sent me. I'm really, really interested. But even before that, I mean, uh, I am glad that you have spoken it um, with such um, clarity of mind. And um, you know, not many Asians, uh, you know, living in this part of the world would have really bothered a lot, I should say. I mean, they, people do bother about it to a, to a certain extent, but people will not bother it so much um, to such a huge extent to uh, make their lives inconvenient, like what Al Gore says, because you need your life. But it does, it does, um, you know, for someone, it does take um, a certain sense of enlightenment, doesn't it? Did it occur now or when you were younger or is it an environment that you were in when you were in the UK? I'm really curious about that. Well, I think as a young boy in the UK, it was, it was when I say very, when I was very young, it wasn't something that was on the radar. Mm. Um, it became something that was more uh, mainstream probably by the year 2000s or so and again a, a big uh, eye-opener to me personally was watching that uh, film of Al Gore's The Inconvenient Truth where you know a very powerful film showing very yeah. powerful images emissions um, you yeah. know really was a was a wake-up call I, I you know I've been lucky to travel around many countries around the world and one country that certainly sticks out in my mind that have been so environmentally green for such a long time is New Zealand, a, a country that is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. It's almost like one entire big uh, national park. 
a small population relative to the size of its country. And um, they really are, you know, incredibly focused on looking after their environment. Um, you know, so much, you know, I, I mean, I love doing outdoor activities and hiking, and it's it's one of the best places in the world for, for hiking and outdoor activities. But you, you have, you, you, I say strict, but, you know, just common sense goals and things that they, that they uh, insist on to preserve the environment. And I think uh, we could learn a lot from countries like New Zealand about mm. how they value their mm. environment and have for decades put laws and regulations in there, you know, to protect the uh, environment. Um, you know, I, I often like to use this analogy, this universal truth. And I often share it with my kids about, you reap what you sow in life. Um, and it's a bit like the law of the farm. I, I often use this analogy of the, you reap what you sow. A farmer basically will reap what they sow. And a, a universal truth is that you need to plant your seeds, typically in the springtime or the earlier part of the year. You need to nurture the soil, you need to water it, you need to tend the crops, you need to look after it. And if you've done a good job, when it comes to harvest festival who knows september october you've got a great crop but you can't expect that a farmer can be lazing around for months to months plant the seed in september and assume he's going to get a great crop in october and i think it's the same mentality when we look at we reap what we sow you know if we keep sowing a polluted world Mm. We are going to end up with a globe and a, a, um, a world that cannot function. The, the, the yeah. world is choked to death. And yeah. there comes a point whereby, you know, you reap what you sow. If we, keep, if we keep sowing the seeds of pollution and not caring, then what will happen is we will, you know, unfortunately reap the uh, the results of those decisions and again it's i come back to that point of as a as a as humanity we need to globally look at being proactive and what can we do as as individuals because this is one of the things that i think sometimes is one of the challenges it's like it's such a big problem you know what can i really do as an individual what is it that what difference can I really make? And if we if we just throw up our arms saying, well, there's nothing I can really do to, yeah. to change the world. Well, one example is, you know, the, the young girl, uh, Greta Thunberg, who yeah. who um, at 15, 16 years old, or maybe she was even younger, decided yeah. to sit outside the Swedish parliament in protest. And then the next day, other children uh, joined her. And within a few weeks and months, it became a mass, massive global student movement. So we all have a political voice and ultimately that can, people power can can change um, governments and change political uh, policies. But when we also look at our own uh, carbon footprint, uh, I was watching, uh, I think it was uh, the, climate change by David Attenbury. I mean, he has great shows. And he was saying in the UK, just to quote just a little bit of data, that the average UK citizen uh, contributes 13 tonnes of CO2 a year. And something like 25% of that is produced through the carbon footprint of food and drink, 25% through travel, 16% through household energy. Anyway, you know, they discussed at the end, you know, what could an individual do to make their contribution in their life? And if that was replicated through everybody's life, um, it could have a massive impact. And so, you know, they were talking about things like uh, insulating your house, because by insulating your house, you need less energy, and that can have a massive impact on reducing your energy. Mm -hmm energy quota mm. food wastage is a massive thing mm. you know the amount of carbon footprint it takes to produce food particularly dairy products and red meats 
so that you know if we can reduce the amount of food wastage that either food that goes off in the fridge or the food on the plate that doesn't get eaten gets thrown away or changing what we do eat so reducing the amount of dairy products and um, and red meat because these products require far more effectively um, uh, intensive forms of farming in order to produce that end product compared with uh, many other kind of uh, um, cereals and uh, other products that aren't so intensive in their carbon footprint. So, you know, there are there are things that we can all do. Um, just a couple of others, you know, converting to electrical cars when you, you know, you, you get your next car. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, we each individual, you know, can do a significant thing. And they were saying that if you were to change your lifestyle in some of these areas, just by doing that, you could reduce your carbon footprint by two to three tons a year. Well, if everyone did that, that's a big step in the right direction. Um, and, and while you're talking about there's a lot of uh, 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 things come to my mind um, just to uh, reinforce what you, what you mentioned. You know, I've got my notes <laughs> and I'm also looking at the notes okay. that you're, you're, you're writing. And I really want you to explain some of these um, that you've done your research, you know. Um, first question, or the first thing that came to my mind. Um, that, you know, for, for us to be talking about this on a podcast, um, not exactly a popular uh, topic right now in the world, um, because like what you say earlier on, uh, you know, the news is being dominated by the war in Ukraine, and then um, by the pandemic, um, I mean, rightful issues because they affect our lives. Um, and, and the climate change issue has been like, sidelined for a while, you know, due to the big headlines. Um, and, and people are now obsessed with the Johnny Depp, uh, Amber Heard, and people are also obsessed with the um, Kim Kardashian dress. So, um, you know, I, I just want to, to reiterate and also to echo what you say. That's why our talk is important. Uh, I think about that, uh, Richard. Um, you know, we, we are now in Asia, right? Is climate change relevant? Um, to, to the mother in Thailand, to the mother in Cambodia, to the mother in Indonesia, their first thought or the first concern is putting food on the table. And, and you're right, because third world countries, um, research have shown uh, the family uh, carbon footprint is lower, right? And that's why you talked about the um, first world um, compensating the third world development through a mechanism which is called the CDM, the Carbon Development Mechanism that is um, actually working right now in, in Europe. You know, you got to pay for reducing your CO2 if you go through this particular mechanism. Um, and you're, you're able to buy the, the, the certificate but I'm going to talk about that in future if we ever have time. So there is a mechanism right now not widely used enough for the Western countries or the industrialized countries to compensate the development or the damage they have already done vis-a-vis uh, -vis the third world country that's trying to now develop it themselves. Uh, back to the individual mother in Indonesia in, in in Thailand, the first thing they need to, uh, or, or the first thing that they're concerned with is the struggle about education, about putting food on the table, about getting a job. And my thinking is that we have to be the voice for people who aren't out there to realize that climate change do impact them. You know what I'm trying to say? Because not everyone is concerned about climate change. Therefore, people like us who are concerned about climate change, we have to raise uh, the volume and we have to raise the issue um, front and center to compensate for the, um, I should say, the awareness deficit of a certain people who will be the victims of climate damage or climate catastrophe uh, uh, in years to come. It may not be now, but you're slowly feeling it right now because 
We're looking at flooding in Singapore. Um, we're looking at flooding in Jakarta. They have, they have to move the capital to another place. And we're talking about flooding in Bangkok and many places in Thailand. We're talking about flooding in Malaysia. Even within this area, people are feeling that flooding because of rising sea levels. Um, so, so let's talk about the science a little bit later. But you know how climate change impacts us and impact our neighbors. And, and I would say that our job as podcasters and opinion leaders is um, we have to make these issues. Even we are not the scientists or the experts, we have to make our concerns heard, um, and so that leadership at the top. Um, we'll find that there are people who are really concerned and to put it uh, on the political uh, agenda or the political platform too. And, and you have talked about, um, you know, um, New Zealand. Uh, if we don't have great leadership at the top, someone, uh, someone like French, you know, they have got a huge history about the environmental uh, and also the Germans. The Germans do it differently because they're producing a lot of uh, climate-friendly technologies to mitigate CO2 um, and the other um, uh, 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 greenhouse gases, etc. So I'm really talking about if we don't make enough of um, voices heard, we don't make enough of noise. So uh, political. Cheer um, of policy makers um, kind of forget about the issues because there, because I mean, uh, uh, Richard, you know that whether or not politicians are elected, whether or not they put an agenda onto, like, there is still saying it doesn't matter if they're gonna like do more. So a lot of people do want to minimize their work. I'm sad to say. Yeah. The, I think the challenge is with many democracies, um, and I'm an advocate of democracy, but the challenge of democracies and the way that governments are voted in is that they typically have a four or five year term. Yeah. And global warming is a long term challenge. Yeah. And very often it will require some short term sacrifice for long term gain. And so exactly. it might be more costly now uh, to put in the dollars and cents to do the R&D and put in the yeah. work that requires uh, for changes to happen, but it will be far cheaper and seen as an investment than waiting for the destruction of the earth and, and it costing, if it is salvage, salvageable, uh, trillions and trillions of dollars later. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you hit the nail on the head because you're talking about political system of the world that um, is based on uh, the five-year change of God, right? What is the motivation or incentive for them to be taking on a, a gender or challenge that at the end of the five years, you really can't see any reward or any benefit of like championing a cause. So, so I, I'm looking at you, right? Um, unless there is someone like um, Greta Thunberg who comes out to make real huge noise about what's going to happen to her generation or the world that she's going to inherit, then this is going to be an issue that's just going to be at the back burner. It's like, okay, hopefully the next leadership take up this, this, uh, uh, this, this issue, not me. You know, it's it's like not me. Um, you know, this, this is what I mean about kicking the can further down the road. Yeah. Of course, politicians can can talk about the promises that they will make if they get into power and the you know going green and, and all this. But mm. as as Greta Thunberg said in one of her recent speeches, and yeah. she just kept repeating blah 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 <laughs> blah 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah because you keep just talk talking. about it. You know, they come to these conventions, they say they'll do it, yeah. and they, the they don't deliver. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, people power will take place because it's the people that vote the politicians in. And I think that, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, um, the younger generation, 
you know, are acutely aware that this is going to have a major impact on their lives as they grow up. Mm. And so it comes back to that human nature that because it's going to have a big impact on the younger generation, I can understand why perhaps they are more motivated to, to do mm. something than the older generation, which is no excuse for the older generation. Um, but that's the way often human nature is and I think that hopefully as time goes by that you know younger politicians who are representing that younger age group who have more political clout um, will eventually be able to bring in more and more legislation and deliver on those promises because again if we don't if, if it's all yeah. about trying to maintain power for the next term you know we're just kicking it down the road another four to five years and global warming will have gone up by another half a degree and uh, again the, the situation will be even more expensive for the future government and, and governments yeah. to to address yeah and you're right because we're talking about different segments of the stakeholders right you're talking about um, a group of people the political policy makers people in the highest level of um, policy making usually they are the prime ministers and the presidents because if they sign on uh, if we sign on an act an environmental act a climate act right things can change because it rolls down uh, down the pyramid um, and also you've got the consumers right if consumers make a lot of noise they become socially aware environmentally aware they choose and they select a particular company um, CSR, corporate social responsibility, or climate social responsibility, or their individual lives. And, and, and I would say that, yes, um, we must not um, forget if there is collective, um, there is collective strength. Uh, if we can come together, then we will be able to have collective strength as mainstream people. And again, within this segment of people who are the consumers, there are people who are aware and there are people who don't care and there are people who care, right? Um, so it left with people like us, right? We are not the biggest part of this uh, equation. Uh, we are the part that we are the consumers and we are the part that we are aware and we are, we care, right? And then there are the rest, all right? And, and, there's, and, and the thing is, if we don't all come together at that level um, as a collective force, and that takes time because you're talking about the mothers, you're talking about the student who, who, who probably chooses something that's cheaper. Because, you know, you're talking about a lot of things to sacrifice inconvenience or it's, or it's more expensive financial inconvenience. Um, until that comes to play, that people can come together to have this collective strength you know, led by the likes of uh, Greta Thunberg, then we depend on the top tier of the political will, the political policy makers who sign on and act, right? To make that change, probably like using renewable energy, renewable resources, um, reducing food waste or plastic waste or not dumping anything into the ocean, um, I think unless we have that political strength first, make, waiting for the rest of us, um, it's going to take a long time, uh, uh, Richard, if you know what I'm trying to say. So yeah. I would think that leadership at this point is most urgent. Um, and that makes us, uh, people who knows it, people who are from the main street, people should talk about it, and people should not stop talking. Um, Richard, that's my point. <laughs> yeah, the, the more people are aware about, you know, uh, the, the challenges, they have a political voice, people power has been proven um, over time to be very powerful. And when there's a large enough uh, group with the same political voice, then change can happen. And I think, you know, that's looking at the high level, but I think it always, you know, we should come back and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, well, what can I do as an individual? And, you know, some of the things I've mentioned or, already based on, on research are, are things that can have a major impact. And if that's replicated more and more, you know, and hopefully as, 
the next generation comes up that you know they they take on board these important um, lifestyle changes so it becomes the norm it becomes the normal way of life as opposed to what we're going through at the moment is changing our way of life and unfortunately people don't not usually like to change uh, change tends yeah, to be a bit yeah, inconvenient yeah. it tends to be uncomfortable people tend to like to do what they've always done yeah, um, yeah, and the habits yeah. they've 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 got into yeah and and um i i like um the point that you raised about the film on the inconvenient truth because it, it it is powerful i mean the images especially with the cars right um uh, you know the cars that are in the traffic right the amount of emission um and and i like to also talk about a little um anecdote um, story um uh, of myself, fifth about fifty. Okay, I, I I'm gonna reveal the number of years. Okay, X number of years ago. Enough to say that when um, Al Gore came up with the book of uh, Inconvenient Truth, I was like really championing the uh, issue of climate change. This part of Singapore and Asia I was giving talks in Japan, Indonesia, Thailand, um, even Taiwan. Um, I was involved in uh, projects with uh, NUS on uh, corporate social responsibility, measuring CO2 in the buildings um, versus outside the building, how much we are producing CO2 within the building, right. you can actually capture it, right? Because we're breathing, right? Yes. Um, uh, you know, at that time, uh, I, I actually, it was it was, it was was a story that I'd like to share. Um, I think the first time we went to talk about it, it was over a news conference, was given my opinion, if we don't have to have a straw. You can just drink from a cup. Why should we be drinking a straw which is made of plastic? Um, we can just drink it and, and think about that. The, the amount of straws that are in all the fast food restaurants and the restaurants, etc. And, and think about that. I said that 15 years ago and look at now. It took 15 years for the world to wake up that we do not need to have a straw. Yeah. I mean, if that's the truth, I mean, we should accelerate this awareness. It's urgent. Um, it should not take 15 years for people to wake up to the idea that we should not have a straw or plastic bag. You know, I, I would think that um, time is of the essence. Sure. We, we can't take another 10 years or 15 years just to have a small change in our lives. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sad, but it's real. Uh, um, and, and I always like to have this idea of having policies on a policy level. If we can have, for example, like what the Germans do, reduce emissions of the car first, and then you're certified, then you can go up into the road and reduce emissions of uh, the other uh, nauseous gases, um, the other greenhouse gases, um, then you can have your car out on the roads. I do think technology needs to be accelerated um, with policies, um, with corporations, um, the three tier of the three P's, right? Policies uh, or politics, policies, um, uh, uh, people, and, uh, and also private corporations. Uh, if we do not have these three legs, chair i think it's going to be really a drag and it's going to be hard to really um you know what what no, the, the needle you really can't move the needle if we don't have this collective force even from huge uh corporations who think that yes i am going to make sure that my cars are uh, climate friendly yeah i agree it has to be collective uh, at, at all levels and in all institutions that we're all singing the same song and you know that does come through education um and it may have to come through some hardships through the realization hardships. That, <laughs> the hardships of the realizations that you know we are you need to give up something <laughs> we are seeing the results of climate change and it could get a lot lot worse um, if we don't do anything, you know, or we don't accelerate, we are doing things that, that said, um, but we don't increase the speed at which we are doing these things. Um, yes. Richard, I'm really intrigued. Why don't you rattle off some of this research that you have done? I think we deserve to have your notes. <laughs> well, okay. Um, when it actually comes to carbon emissions, then uh, again, from uh, 
from David Attenborough's uh, uh, climate change program, he, um, it was stating that 25% of CO2 emissions is coming from uh, creating energy and electricity to, from fossil fuels. So that was mm. a major part. 24% mm. is the way that we are growing foods, cutting down forests, because what we haven't spoken about, we on one side you've got oh, carbon yes. emissions. The lungs of the earth. But the other side is extracting CO2 from the atmosphere, of which yeah. plants are our natural way of doing that. And we're, you yeah. know, so it's a double whammer. We're not only uh, putting more CO2 in, we're cutting down the lungs of the, the world, which is, ex you know, a natural way to extract the CO2. Mm. Um, industries, um, something that I wasn't aware of was the fact that um, uh, steel, but particularly cement, making cement can be a major contributor to CO2 emissions. And apparently in order to make cement, it comes from limestone, but limestone has CO2 in it. And in, in order to take out the CO2, it's heated to a, you know, a very hot, hot temperature, which in itself is creating uh, CO2 emissions. But then that CO2 is released into the atmosphere. And um, so in industry was contributing 21%. 14% was transportation, which I think for some people might seem lower than they expected. But yeah. you know, as we transfer, hopefully from combustion cars to electrical cars, you know, that will come down. You know, buildings and just heating or air conditioning uh, buildings was 6.4% and other energies was 96 So. You know, the, the big three or four seems to be uh, how we produce electricity. So what can we do? Renewables. So certainly there's been a massive improvement and increase in using solar panels and wind energy. But one of the challenges in that area is that the sun isn't always shining. The wind mm -hmm. isn't always blowing. And yeah. I didn't realize that battery storage is then a major challenge. And mm -hmm. if you can store that energy so that when you have a downtime that you still got a power supply inside batteries uh, that can provide the power um, I think you know the agriculture I mean it's a big thing that I, I don't have any data on it but I was listening yeah. to a program some time ago that the amount of carbon footprint it, it creates to grow beef cattle as an example mm. you know hundreds of times more than growing uh, a cereal crop or a fruit yeah. and vegetable. Um, and of course, just cutting down the, the, the natural forest not only is not only harming uh, the, the ability to naturally extract CO2, but it's having massive impact on wildlife uh, environments as well. And that, you know, that was 24%. So, you know, some of these things, I mean, that's if we take just those two areas and significantly put a big dent in in those areas mm. that's 50 percent of the carbon emissions in just the way that we produce electricity and the way that we use land and cut down forests mm. sure and um if i think if people are reading the news um about climate change there is this um status of uh, net zero um if you look at uh, internet people are talking about net zero emission next uh, the world is trying to achieve net zero emission that means getting the balance between emission amount right and uh, reducing it by 2050 so a lot of countries are saying it's tough harder um, for um, because you are like committed each country is committed to reduce uh, CO2 emission by a particular percent. And that's quite technical. I hope to come back to it. Um, Richard, um, we, we are an hour into it and we only barely scratched the surface. Um, hats off to you, Richard. Um, and that's a proponent of a uh, climate issue um, for, for humanity. Um, Richard, I am still really intrigued. How, how, did, how, does, how does this come about, you know, about being um, so environmentally concerned, is this like, you know, you're saying that when you were young, etc. But if you were to translate that to a mainstream person who is not um, interested 
all about the environment or about climate change, what would you do? Um, and what, how would you transfer your kind of enlightenment uh, to the people around you, like your friends or your neighbors? Well, um, I would say go watch David Attenborough's one-hour mm. TV program on climate change and mm. or watch, you know, although I know it's um, back in about 2005, but powerful story of Al Gore, uh, yeah. The Inconvenient Truth. Just watch that. Oh, the, the images were powerful. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, you know, if it doesn't stir you up and in some speech. way, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, if, uh, if we don't, if we don't do something, then you know we are all going to be so much worse off for it. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, as you say. The 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 mandate or the goal is to get zero carbon emissions by two thousand and fifty. Um, you know, the the great uh, proponents of this, like uh, Bill Gates, do feel it's achievable, and he feels that you know great uh, improvements have made. But there's still a long, long way to go. And uh, we need to put our foot on the accelerator, not take it off in order to be able to achieve those goals so that we do have a planet that's sustainable and a, a, a beautiful, wonderful place to, to continue to live in. Um, even after, after we die, right? After we return to the ground. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah, Richard. Um, you know, I'm so moved at the way that you speak with such um, kind of authenticity from your heart and research. And I think any listeners or viewers are tuning in or will tune in after this because this is going to be perpetual on eternity in the digital world. I hope that um, it it will spark. Uh, something in them, uh, you know, about what we shared. But hope that we can continue the conversation uh, sometime down the line because I'm really interested in the uh, climate mitigation, uh, mitigation technologies. Um, there's a lot of technology, um, carbon sequestration, etc. Yeah. Uh, and also, I am interested in talking about e-waste um, and also uh, pollution of the, uh, the ocean. And also, um, you know, plastics, sustainable. This is all about sustainable development. Um, we are living in this, on this earth together. And we are the ones who, who are polluting the earth. We may not like it. We always say it's not me, it's them. But it is us. It is us. That's, that's the truth. We, we, can't run we all contribute way. to it one way or the other, whether <laughs> you're aware of it or not. Yeah, sure. Um, Richard, um, 10 seconds. Uh, would you like to wrap up this topic or so or anything you would like to say before well, I, we come back I, tomorrow, I wanna, ladies and gentlemen? I want to thank you again for inviting me because it actually has forced me to become more aware of these issues. And um, by thank being you. more aware, hopefully through podcasts like this, we can share that knowledge and yeah. make uh, other people aware so that they can make changes to their lifestyles and use their yeah. political voice in wherever they're living. Yeah, you, you know, that's why it makes um, our job um, as podcasters, or as people who are giving our opinions online, important. Um, we are raising our concerns um, when, and, and also there are people who aren't aware. So I think with, through this sharing, you're not trying to educate, you're trying to create the awareness and the understanding of the mainstream. Uh, as a main street uh, person, um, I think it makes our job so much more um, significant, um, Richard. Um, to me, it, it makes me like feel like, yes, I'm doing something with uh, little that I know. Um, let's join hands. Let's do it um, together. I know it's going to be hard. I, I'm the one I get pointing at myself. I'm the polluter too. I can't run away. Um, I take the planes. I do, um, you know, so Richard, um, anything to say for the next 10 seconds? Many hands make little work. So if we all, <laughs> if we all contribute, then it can have a big impact. Yeah, I mean, consumer power, um, it, it, I mean, let, let, let me put it this way. Um, let's not underestimate consumer power, um, you know, or shareholder power when you vote at the AGM to be more environmentally friendly. 
um, your company will change its mission. Um, so I would think that uh, you know we do have our job cut out for each of us. Thank you so much, Richard, for this very very enlightening talk and from your heart i i'm so glad to have invited you this is our show this is not just mine <laughs> great stuff thanks